Well, let me invite you to take a copy of God's Word and go to Acts 18. Uh, if you have a copy of Scriptures with you or a phone that has a Bible app on it, Acts 18. I've been waffling back and forth on whether I'm going to read the entire text because it is longer. Um, and I thought I wasn't going to. Then at the last minute, uh, I think I'm going to. So Acts 18, I'm going to read verse 24 all the way through the end of chapter 20. So it's going to be a little bit longer, but let me just encourage you to uh, track with me and uh, I'll try to, try to read it with expression and everything. So Acts 20. Excuse me, Acts 18, verse 24. It says this, Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only of the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to come to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, gave through grace, who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ, the Christ was Jesus. Now it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Do you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we didn't, we not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he, Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with them, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannius. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Let me just mention when he says Asia there, that's, that's talking about the Roman province of Asia. We're not talking about the, the continent that you and I would think of. This is the Roman province of Asia. Verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing, divulging the practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. 
Now, after these things, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must go see, also go see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Aristus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Remember, the way is what the Christianity was, early Christianity was being talked about, probably because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life in John 14. Verse 24, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who had made silver shrines to Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from, deposed from her magnificence, magnificence, who, she whom all Asia in the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Armaeus of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go into the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the uh, uh, Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging them not to venture into the theater. Now, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had even come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of, Ephesus, of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and the sacred stone, and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with whom have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there's no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when they had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions, he had, come, he had given them much encouragement. He came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Petater, the, the Berean, the son of Piraeus of Berea, accompanied him of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secunidas and Gaius of Derby and Timothy uh, the Asians, Tychicus and Triophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he pro prolonged his speech until midnight. 
There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, taking him in his arms and says, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. And the next day we touched Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house." testifying both to Jews and to Greeks the repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none among you whom I have given, uh, gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God. Into the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. It's a long section of scripture. You know, we're doing an overview of Acts. And so we're trying to just give a bird's eye view of this. And so we have a lot of ground to cover today. But what I want to talk about today as I look at this text of scriptures, I see again in Paul's missionary journeys, what he's doing is he's establishing and strengthening churches. That's his primary goal and his primary job as he's going through these different regions. He's establishing churches and he's revisiting these churches and strengthening them. And it shows you 
the importance of the church uh, in God's plan. And so what I'm going to do today, and I'm going to share this and then I'll pray, but this is what I hope to uh, communicate today is that we can have confidence in God's beautiful gift of the church. Because it's through God's gift of the church that he blesses us with many different things that we're going to see in this text of Scripture today. I think we're going to see five gifts from the church that we can get from uh, this text of Scripture. So let me pray and ask God's blessing, and then we'll just dive right in. Father, thank you for the opportunity to stand before these people and, and read the Scriptures Thank you for preserving the scriptures and keeping it for us and so that we may know how we ought to live and how we may know what you or who you are and we can worship you, God. So thank you for your sovereign hand that we saw displayed in this reading that we just did. Thank you for people like Paul who you set up and put into ministry and you saved him from his sins and it gives us hope of, of what you do in our lives and we're thankful for Jesus Christ. It says that he bought the church with his own blood. So thank you, Jesus. And Father, I pray for these next few minutes here that I would communicate in a way that's helpful and accurate and clear, and I pray that you would receive all glory and honor. And so thank you for this gift of the church, and I pray that uh, we would be instructed by this passage today. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. So as I said, from this text, I see... uh, several gifts that we can get uh, that God gives to his people through the church. The first is this, is that we get the gift of rubbing shoulders with uniquely gifted people. Now, in the beginning of our reading, in chapter 18, uh, towards the end of chapter 18, we were reintroduced to a person by the name of Apollos and then Aquila and Priscilla. We talked about them before uh, in our last uh, two weeks ago, I believe, is when we first met them. And uh, uh, we know from Apollos that he was just a uniquely gifted individual. He had tremendous gifts in uh, speaking. He had tremendous gifts in theology, uh, but yet he was still lacking in some areas. He didn't fully have all the nuances. He didn't have all the, the correct theology, but this is where God brought in a person by the name, or two people by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. And so we have this married couple who were tent makers. They had the same uh, um, uh, occupation as Paul, and uh, it seems that they're a little bit older, and they, uh, they, they, they took Apollos under, his, uh, under their wing, and, and they explained to him. And I just love the picture of this, is that we have this incredibly gifted person of Apollos, who he's a younger man, and he's, he's incredibly gifted with speaking, and, and he was someone that everyone would want to go hear, and everyone would want to hear him speak, because he was just incredibly gifted. So we have him, but yet he still needed to grow, and yet we see his teachability here, and how uh, uh, these tent makers common people, Aquila and Priscilla, they're not intimidated by the, the talent and ability of Apollos. They see some of this. They say, we can minister to this person. We can help this person. And so they do that. You know, it's in the context of a church where we get to rub shoulders with people like this all the time. There are people that God brings into my life that I never would have, have any type of relationship unless we were part of the same church. Because our lives are completely different. Our interests are completely different. But yet there's a common theme that we do have, and that is Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus Christ is the one who brings us together. It's Jesus Christ and our common belief in him and worshiping of his name is what brings us together. And this is what the church does. And so it's a gift of the Lord, of of our Father. It's a loving, gracious gift to allow us to rub shoulders with uniquely gifted people. 
And so when we withdraw from the context of a church, when we keep away from that, we're, we're, we're keeping ourselves away from relationships that God has for us. And so let me encourage us to think and receive this gift from the Lord that we get to rub shoulders with uniquely gifted people like Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla. We have four more gifts to talk about so in the Lord's Supper to celebrate afterwards. So I will move on to our second gift. The second gift is that we have the gift of a front row seat at the fireworks. Now, what do I mean by that? And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to the fireworks and you want to get to a close seat and, and you try to get, and you're just watching them explode over you and it's wonderful. I don't know if you've ever been so close where, you know, the, the cardboard tubes are falling around you and stuff like that. And, and, and you are right there. You are in the middle of this. You are right there. You know, being part of the church is like that. Because I don't know if you picked up on it, but there are some great things that are happening here. Uh, in, in verse 11 of chapter 19, we see some extraordinary things that was happening during that time, during an apostolic period, where, you know, healings were happening in a, in a very unique way. Um, but we also see that the, the power of God's word, we see that in today's life. I, I don't, do you remember that when I read in that section there, when those seven uh, uh, sons uh, of, the, of the Jewish high priest, Sceva, who were trying to imitate, they were trying to have a cheap imitation of the power of Jesus Christ. And the demon there was like, hey, listen, I know Jesus and I know Paul. I don't know you, right? And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, uh, it's almost humorous. And I don't know if you picked up on it, that the, the spirit leaped out on them, beat them all up. And so the, in verse 16, it says they left they fled the house naked and wounded. And so that's kind of embarrassing. But then you read verse 17, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. I got to tell you, you know, to be made famous for something is one thing, but being made famous for a demon beating you up and you have to leave naked, that, that's probably not how you want to be recorded for all of history, okay? Um, but we see the power of God's word on display because right after that, um, we see that um, there was a revival that happened. And the people that were trying to follow the occult in these magic arts, they turned their hearts. It was at the preaching of the word of God that their hearts were turned and they burned all their books and there was great revival that had taken, that had taken place. So God's, the power of God's word, we see this over these imitation uh, attempts. We see it over overt attacks. We saw this in uh, Ephesus, in this riot that takes place in Ephesus. I won't take time to read through, but we read through it already. This riot that takes place. But yet, it's the power of God's word. The word of God in verse 20 of 19, it says, the word of God continued to increase and prevail mightily. Let me tell you, it is in the context of church where we see the fireworks of God's word take place in people's hearts. And we see it in our own hearts. We see it in the lives of other people. We see God do some incredible things. I mean, just a few minutes ago, you know, I talked about, um, uh, you know, we wanted to help brothers and sisters on the other side of the world in India who want to get theological training and who are trying to learn about the Bible. And so we're leveraging technology to do that. And so we talk about, listen, they need more computers because the, the, the first time I taught over that, I didn't realize this, but a lot of them were watching my lectures uh, on a phone, okay? 
And, and, and when you're trying to, to lecture that way and the, the whole Zoom thing with all the different boxes, and then I wanted to show slides, you know, so I could point out different things because that makes it easier for translators and stuff like that. So I put that up. I didn't realize that most of them were doing this on phones. Can you imagine with a, with a phone trying to see a slide screen, you know, and the person talking and the person translating? It was very difficult. And so when, when Henry, our missionary, says, hey, if we could get some computers to these people, then we'll have some more screen space. You know, I'm reading that email on my computer in my office that is connected to two external monitors, <laughs> okay? I was like, yeah, I get the need for more screen space. And so we talk about it as a church. And what happens? 4,000 is our goal. 10,500 comes in. That's, that's an amazing thing. That's the power of God's word. Because it's people who are moved and say, you know what? To whom much is given, much is required. God has given us so much. That's a biblical truth that resonates in our souls. But when you say, you know what? We need to help our brothers and sisters. We need to help them learn the scriptures all over the world. And so, so we're going to make that possible. That's a priority of the word of God. And so I'm just so incredibly grateful for our church. We've got flaws. We're not perfect. You hang around us for any amount of time, you're going to see that we're a bunch of sinners and that we are not perfect, that we sometimes have to, you know, maybe get a get-along shirt on together or something like that. But the Word of God is changing us. The Word of God is doing a work. And we want to share that with all over the world. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. You see, being part of the church, we don't have access to stuff like that unless we're part of a church. We don't have access to see the word of God change people's hearts. We can do humanitarian things outside the church, sure, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that, and that's very good. But soul-changing work, gospel work, that is uniquely gifted to the church. And so we have the front row seat to fireworks, when we're part of the church. That's a gift that God gives to us. He says, be part of the church. You're going to see things that are amazing and are wonderful. There's a third gift that I'd like to share with you this morning, and that is this, the gift of life-sustaining partnerships. I don't know if you picked up on this theme, but as we read through this text, there were a lot of names that I kind of faked my way through pronouncing. Okay, all right. Uh, if you think that I always know how to pronounce names, I'm just good at speaking something confidently and moving on. Okay, that's my, that's my uh, key to pronouncing biblical names. Okay, pronounce it confidently, boldly, and then read the next word as fast as possible. Okay, uh, so there's a whole bunch of names in this text that we read through, right? Okay, when we were going through that. Um, but think about this everywhere Paul went. He had people with him. We're told he had helpers in chapter 19 in verse 22 of Timothy and Aristus. However you pronounce that. I know how Timothy is pronounced. But uh, then in verse 29, there was Gaius and Aristarchus, the Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. And then in chapter 20, we see in verse 4, several people here. And I don't know if you picked up on it. If you have your Bible open, look at 20 in verse 4. Look at the cities that are listed there. There's these people from Berea, from 
the, the Thessalonians from Thessalonica, from Derby, and then talking about the Asians. These were all places that Paul had gone on his previous trips. And he's picking up people along the way, and he's forming life-sustaining relationships. He's forming partnerships in the gospel that is going to be uh, 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 used to change the world. And where is this at? It's in the context of a church. It's in the context of, of coming together and saying, you know what? We have different strengths. We have different abilities. We have different viewpoints. Maybe politically, maybe on other things in this world, we have different ideas of how things should be done. Maybe we agree on the problem. We disagree on the solution to it. But what we do agree is that Jesus is Lord and that he is our hope. And that without him, without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no hope. And so when that is our basis of relationship, we can get through anything. These life-sustaining relationships and partnerships that forge. You know, I look back at the people who are close to me, and um, it's, it's in the context of a church that God has established people who help me. It may not be that we're in the same church together, but it's in the context of the church that we are uh, having these partnerships. And so Paul, everywhere he's going, he's making these friendships. So the question comes is, are you making life-sustaining relationships? You see, this is where like small groups are important. This is why it's important to be together and to talk with one another before and afterwards. This is why it's important to, to send each other notes and cards and things like that. Try to get together as much as possible because this is how life-sustaining relationships or in partnerships are forged. Just coming to a service and not really talking to anyone and then bolting out the door right away afterwards, that's not going to cut it, okay? Now, I'm glad that people come and I'm glad that they're here. But if we're talking about forming these life-sustaining partnerships, it's not about just getting into the same room for an hour and then leaving. It's about interacting with each other's lives. How, how well do you know each other in the church? How well are you uh, concerned for one another? Are you praying for each other? Are you looking out for one another? When you hear of someone going through difficulty, are you picking up the phone? Are you writing a card? Are you sending an email? Are you making a meal? Are you trying to help? See, that's what we're talking about here is these, these, these partnerships being forged together that really truly is life-sustaining. And so step one is getting into the same room, but that is only step one. It's, it, it, it's, it's interacting with each other. It's, it's, it's uh, um, uh, inviting people into your life, okay? Because a lot of us are guarded. A lot of us, there's a lot of people that are, are much more introverted and we don't really want people messing with our lives. I get that. I've told you this before. The older I get, the more introverted I've become. Uh, when I was younger, very much so an extrovert. Uh, now, as I get older, um, I, I kind of like being by myself, all right? I kind of like just being with my wife and kids and really no one else, you know? And, and I got to push against that. I got to push against that because it's not healthy. Of course you need that time, and of course you need those moments, but we're not called to live that way. We're called to be reaching out and investing in other people and allowing people to invest in us. And so this is the gift of a life-sustaining partnerships. There's two more gifts I want to share with you this morning. The, fourth, the next one is this. The fourth one is the gift of gathering. In, in chapter 20, in verse 7, it says, it's almost like, a, like just a throwaway. It's like just a common thing that Luke records here. 
And he says, uh, oh, and by the way, before I move on to this, I, I meant to say this. Um, in the text right before us, this is one of those we sections in Acts, okay? Did you notice where it says, uh, in, there's like, uh, these went ahead and were waiting for us. This is chapter 20, verse 5. But we sailed, we came to them to us where we stayed. And then verse 7 says, when we were gathered on the first day. This is where Luke suddenly is in, on the scene. Okay, and so that's why uh, one of the reasons why Luke's uh, account here is, was considered as part of the, the scriptures was because he obviously spent time with Paul and he was here. So when you read it and you're reading it, like, wait a minute here, where's, who's we and all this? Well, this is Luke all of a sudden coming out to the scene here. So the gift of gathering here on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them for a really long time. So the thing is here is that there's this, like, this idea of just mundane gathering. Luke doesn't go into like uh, this was a special meeting in some ways at first. Uh, it was very ordinary. Uh, on the first day of the week when we were gathered to break bread. This is one of the reasons why I think that we have evidence that the first church, that this early church, uh, they had the Lord's Supper every week. And so we're having the Lord's Supper. We do it every other week uh, at our church right now. And so, uh, but, you know, the early church, it seems like it was part and parcel of their weekly gathering. On the first day of the week, when we gathered to break bread, uh, they often would have a larger meal associated with what we're going to do as well, uh, called the Agape Feast. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, they at least had the Lord's Supper. And it was uh, Luke saying, this is what we did. We did this together. And so it was part of our, uh, when I say mundane, I'm talking but just common, just our, what we do every week. That's a gift from the Lord, okay? A lot of times we come to church, we're kind of looking for that, like, experience, you know, that, oh, wow, that moment and everything. Yeah, I've been part of a church literally my whole life, okay? And so I cannot tell you how many, I know it's in the thousands of sermons that I've listened to, uh, I've preached, okay, uh, and, you know, when I think back in all the years of me attending church, I, there's only a few times where I, like, there's a moment where I'm just like, whoa, that was, that was, a, that was a major moment. That was, that was really good. But I can tell you the cumulative effect of me being in church pretty much every Sunday for over 40 years is, has a, had a huge impact on my life. And so sometimes we look at like, oh, we want this, you know, to be really wow. And all of a sudden, and, you know, yeah, there's going to be times where that happens, where, you know, something special happens or, you know, the, the singing just really resonates with you that Sunday or, you know, the sermon is especially helpful. It happened to be short that Sunday. I don't know, whatever the case may be. But the point is, is that there was something that was especially happening that's going to stand out. That will happen occasionally. But that's not how God designed it. God designed this the routine gathering, the routine getting together, the routine being with one another, and it has a cumulative effect on us over years and years and years. Um, it's kind of like being healthy. You, you got to eat routinely. You don't just have like one major meal for the week, and then you don't eat the rest of the week. And it's like, well, that's going to bring me health. No, you got to have these, you know, you're getting nourishment. Throughout, you're not even really thinking about that you're getting nourishment, but you're getting nourishment. That's part of it. So the gift of gathering is in the mundane or the routine gathering. But 
then there's sometimes that there are those exceptional moments. This routine gathering turns into an exceptional moment here when Eutychus is, uh, is, is resurrected from the dead. I mean, this poor guy, he's sitting there. Luke records in there, there's many lamps in the room. You're like, why did he talk about that? Probably, Luke was a physician, probably he's recognized that probably has something to do with him passing out and dying. Because they're in a cramped room, in an upper room. You know it's tight. There's a lot of people there. It's getting late, so they light a bunch of lamps. Well, what does what, what fire burn? Burns oxygen, right? And so as, as Eutychus is probably not feeling well, getting lightheaded, and so it's hot, oxygen is being burned, he probably goes to sit by the window to get some fresh air. And he's sitting there, whew, I need some fresh air and everything. And then, you know, Paul does what I do sometimes. You know, he says, well, you know, in closing, you know, like this. It's like, oh, great. And he's landing the plane. 30 minutes later, Paul's still talking, right? And so Eutychus passes out. And he falls out the window. Can you imagine being in this worship service? You know, just, just imagine just sitting there, this poor young guy, and then he just falls. And then, you know, everyone's panicking, of course. Everyone's upset that this young guy has fallen and broken his neck. Paul goes down and does a mighty work. And then they go up and they finish the service. He keeps preaching until morning. <laughs> I mean, think about this. Like, that would not be, that would not be what I would do. I, I would not be like, okay, you know, if, if it gets a little warm in here and Rob's over here and he's sitting over there by the window and he gets tired, maybe I should use Ryan because he's got a suit on again. It's not Easter and he's got a suit on again. He, so he's not used to wearing a tie. So he's getting all warm and everything, okay? And so Ryan's over by the window and he falls out and, and then miraculously he's revived. And so everyone's talking to each other. And then what do I do? Okay, let's pick up where we were left off. You know, no, I mean, but that's what happened because it was just, it was an exceptional moment. It was just an amazing moment. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen in our church services, but what I am saying that there are moments where the Spirit of God just kind of just does a, a special work in someone's heart and says, you know what? This is a, a defining moment in your Christian pilgrimage. So the gift of gathering, that happens in the routine things. You just be part of the church gathering. It's the nourishment, the regular routine, the singing praises of what God has asked. It's an opportunity for us to worship God in a routine way, but it's also a way for us to receive the nourishment that he has for us each week. That's how I view our worship services as a way for everyone to get together. We're, we're energized by the singing together, by, by looking at God's word. We go out into the world for the next six days and we serve God. And then we get tired again. And then we get a little bit weary. And so we come back together again. But the problem is what happens is sometimes we get tired. And so we say, ah, I just don't have the energy to go back. And we cut out the very thing God has designed to energize us. See, the gift of gathering is what we have here. And so it's such a gift from the Lord. And so, so grateful for this gift. Well, there's one more gift that I want to talk about. Then we'll make a quick application and that is, and this is going to be a harder one for me to talk about because it's going to sound incredibly self-serving, but the gift of spiritual leaders. I have to talk about it because it's in the text, okay? It's, this is by, I always get uncomfortable in this because as one of your spiritual leaders, I don't want to present myself up here and like, listen, now is the time for you to appreciate the gift that God has given to you, you know? So just soak it in, okay? <laughs> you know, I feel weird, okay? 
But when I look at the text and I see that this is there, I would not be a faithful shepherd. I would not be a faithful teacher of God's word if I didn't talk about this. And so um, we look particularly in chapter 20 in Paul's interaction with Ephesian elders. In verse 17 of chapter 20, says, Now from Miletus he called the Ephesians, he called the elders of the church, so the spiritual leaders of the church, to come to him. And he has this wonderful conversation. And so this is a gift to the church, that there are leaders in place to help guide the church. And so for the next few minutes here, I'm going to talk about what the role is of these spiritual leaders. And so I'm going to talk primarily to myself and to the other elders in our church, okay? Um, and so if you're an elder in the church, if you're a deacon in the church, which is a, a part of our, our leadership team as well, I just want you to, to pay special attention here because this part of the sermon is really for us in a lot of ways. The rest of you, um, I want you to pay attention in the sense that this is how you pray for us and receive the gift that God's given to our church, okay? So if you're an elder, you're a deacon, you really need to start paying attention really clearly here because we're going to find some really helpful instruction. I think one of the things that we see here is how hard Paul worked here for these people. Um, in, in chapter 20, verse 17, he calls them together, and look at what he described. He says in verse 19, I was serving the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials that have me through the plots of the Jews. Um, we see that this was not an easy task. He talked about how that he did not shrink back from declaring to the people that was profitable, teaching publicly and from house to house, talking about repentance, not knowing what would happen to me there. Um, and then he says in verse 24, I, I do not count myself of any, my life of any value nor of precious myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of our God. All of us have the similar mission of testifying of God's grace. Elders and deacons, we have the job of leading our church in this way. Are we counting our own personal lives as greater than those whom we're trying to lead? Are we counting our lives as more important than anyone else? Paul here has given us great example here to say, don't do that. He says, I don't care what really happens to me as long as I finish my course. So fellow elder, deacon, could you say the same thing? That you... Uh, you don't really care what happens as long as you finish the calling that God has given us to do. God has given us a calling to lead in a biblical way, to lead in a way that is, is guiding our people uh, and our church towards Jesus Christ. Does this consume our thinking in our prayer lives? You see, this is what it means to be a leader. This is what it means to be a spiritual leader. I, uh, um, you see in the quotations on the screen, their soul doctor uh, Puritans often referred to uh, a spiritual leader as doctors of the soul. And so we had people who were physicians of the body, but then we have people who were ministers to the soul, and that is our calling. One of our jobs is to protect. It says, pay attention, verse 28, and to all the flocked for which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He says in verse 29 that I know that after my departure, fierce wolves are going to come in and they're not going to spare the flock. And so he says, protect the sheep, protect them, preach truth to them, teach truth, guide them to truth, stand up against false teaching. And then there's a sobering thing here when it says in verse 30 in that uh, people are going to come in. It says, and from among your own selves. So in your church, even in the leadership of the church will arise 
wise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Please may that never be said of any leader in our church and any person in our church as someone rises up from within us to lead us away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It happened here in Ephesus, the mighty church of Ephesus. It can happen here in Verona. So we need to be very cautious and very soberly minded about this. There's the idea of feeding the flock and taking care of the flock that we have, that we've talked about, the building up with the word. It says, I commend to you, to God, and to the word of grace, which is able to build you up, verse 32. And so we are to give people the word. This is the reason why we spend a lot of time reading and talking about the word and teaching the word, because this is how we feed the flock. And so if you're a spiritual leader, this is what we come back to. If, if you are not one on the leadership team, let me tell you, be someone who's hungry for the word. Be someone who loves the word. And then I, I have to point this out. In verse 28, it says, pay careful attention to your own selves. We live in a time where it just seems like every day I hear of another pastor who is either deconstructing his faith or is involved in some scandal and it's really bringing a huge black eye on the church. Fellow elders, we must pay attention to ourselves. We must be very cautious. We must be very cautious about what we allow into our lives. Pay attention. Pay attention. We do not want to be one who is another statistic of a church that gets led astray or the leaders let their guard down and goes off into sin and heresy, abuse. It's terrible what many churches are having to deal with because of bad spiritual leaders. May we take this warning soberly. And so I share this in the presence of all. I could have just sent this an email to our leaders and say, hey, I was studying this text and I want you to be very careful about this. But I'm saying this in the presence of all so that you can know how you got to honestly and sincerely pray for the leaders of your church. Please pray for the leaders of your church that we would pay attention to ourselves. And, that, and what I mean by that is that we are not so busy trying to lead the church that we're not allowing the scriptures to change our hearts and our minds and the spirit of God to, that we're not sensitive to the spirit of God's leading our lives. It can happen. So please be praying. I can't tell you the encouragement that I get when someone in my church, and I say my church is not that I own it, that I'm part of it. But when someone in my church says, Pastor, I've been praying for you this week. You have no idea. You have no idea. The encouragement, that brings my soul. Because I think of texts like this. And I think of texts like, I want to make sure that we never lead our church down a wrong path. And I know that we need the Spirit of God to guide us. There is not a sin that we are above. We are not above anything. We could do anything you see other guys doing. You could, we could do it, and we don't want to. So we need you praying for us, and we need to be very diligent about our own spiritual lives. So this is a gift that God's given to us. And there's one other thing is that we need to be led by the Spirit, but okay with ambiguity. Let me just draw your attention to chapter 20 in verse 23. Uh, it says, uh, actually verse 22 it says, Paul says, now I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the Spirit 
not knowing what will happen to me there. I love the fact that he is, on the one hand, completely certain what the Spirit of God wants him to do, but completely ambiguous about what's going to happen. Right there in that same verse. As leaders, this is how we lead sometimes. We know exactly what God wants us to do. Details are kind of fuzzy. We know that this is what God wants us to do. We're not sure how it's going to work out. Okay, so just so you know, leaders, we need to be comfortable with this. Paul was. Just so you know, church family, this is how we operate. We follow the Spirit's leading. We are rock solid in it, but sometimes the details are a little bit funny, fuzzy on it. And so we're just patient and we just see what God's going to do. You see, this is the gift of spiritual leaders that God has given to the church. And so he's given so many gifts to the church. He's given the gift of rubbing shoulders with uniquely gifted people and the gift of a front row seat to fireworks, the gift of life-sustaining partnerships, the gift of gathering, the gift of spiritual leaderships. So what's the application point? And then we'll uh, begin to bring this to a close. We've got about three, four minutes left. We should reject any desire to go it alone and embrace our calling to be part of the church. That's what I want us to walk away with today. When you look at the gift that God has given to us and you see how Paul put all this energy in establishing churches and we can see from what was happening, all these gifts that are there, we got to resist any desire to go it alone and we got to embrace our calling to be part of a church. And not just to be in attendance, be interacting with people, be ministering to people. Be reaching out to your neighbors. Be reaching out to your co-workers and, and, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Find encouragement with one another. Share one another's burdens. We must reject any desire to go it alone and embrace our calling to be part of a church. So how does this happen? This is how we conclude. We soak in God's word. We, we've got to be people who are soaking in the word of God, that we are people who are uh, letting the book change us, letting the scriptures guide us. We need to show up as much as possible. And I know that, you know, we've been coming out of this pandemic, and so there's, uh, there's, there's still some ambiguity on this, and so I, I get that. But with all the vaccines that are coming out and they're being available to everybody and, and you know, cases and hospitalizations and stuff like that, I think we're getting to the point where, where now it's getting, and I believe with what we're doing here, uh, we can do this safely, we can do this responsibly. I say safely, nothing's ever 100% safe, I, so I, I really usually don't even use that word. I want to say responsibly, we can, we can do this in a way that makes sense. We need to be respectful of other people. This is right. We, when we're out, we're all wearing masks and stuff like that. We're following the county's guidelines right now. Um, but let me just encourage you, be praying. For those of you who haven't come back yet, let me just encourage you to begin praying about that and say, okay, what's it going to take? And let me encourage you to come up with a plan on that. Like, okay, what's it going to take in order for me to be coming back to church? I get that it may be weeks and maybe some months for some people. I understand that. But what I'm saying is I'm just asking you to start considering the plan. What will it take for that to happen? And if you want to talk about it, I'd be happy to talk with you about it. Um, but just know I'm praying. But be together as much as possible. You know, with what we know about the virus, we can do this in a, in a responsible way. But uh, it's not just church attendance I'm talking about. You can interact with people outside of church, uh, of, of interacting, calling people, uh, writing notes, letters, things like that. Interact with people. Show up as much as possible. Interact with other people. Reach out to others. Is, that leads to that. To reach out to others uh, often is uh, not just showing up, uh, being in service, but uh, reaching out to people. Because it's not, I'm not advocating. If you hear me say, the only thing I'm concerned about is getting people in the room together for worship service, then either I've really not communicated clearly or you've missed the point. The point is not just getting everyone in the same room, although we find energy and enjoy and, uh, and, and um, um, 
energy and, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here, um, motivation, if you will, growth, uh, sustenance by doing so. But reach out to others as possible, as much as possible. Listen to your spiritual leaders. Um, Again, uh, we're not perfect. We'll be the first to tell you. And when I say listen to your leaders, I'm not saying that this is a dictatorship and you follow blindly. What I am saying is that you have conversations. If there's something we're saying that you disagree with, talk to us about it. And let's have a conversation about it. But we, the, the, the elder team loves this church and wants this church to glorify Jesus Christ. And we want to lead in a way that it is um, glorifying to God. So I finish with this. There's a warning, though. We know what happened to the church of Ephesus. In Revelation 21, it says, in chapter 2, rather, you have abandoned the love that you had at first. May that not be said of us. This Ephesus church was a mighty church, but they lost their first love. And Jesus says we're going to remove the candle from the candlestick. 